Hello, Interabang. This is Michelle in the editing booth. Just wanted to give you a heads up and let you know that this is a little bit of a longer episode, uh, which you might see by the timestamp. But also, we don't really have a, our usual format for this episode where we have the music list at the end. We actually have the music kind of sprinkled throughout the episode. So if you're looking for just some music, unfortunately, you can't just skip to the end. Um, but we'd love for you to listen to the whole episode for what we have to, to share with you. Thank you. And then here's the episode now. Terabang and Stephanie from around the world. <laughs> Michelle, what are you giggling about? <laughs> I'm in a vibey, groovy mood. Um, has to do a lot with our episode topic today, but I'm feeling groovy, um, jamming a little bit, kind of, but nothing like nothing like too high paced, too intense. But like, I'm bopping right now in my in my chair, bopping, You're bopping? back and forth. Yep, it's a That's subtle good. bop. How about That's you? Good. I'm also uh, jamming out over here, but that's yeah. because I've been binging a particular group for <laughs> virtually nonstop the past two weeks, which has been nice. Yeah, but they're very much in my head now. Some <laughs> some ear like, some earworms. Oh, I think it's beyond earworms. They're taking over the brain. They've migrated from parasite to just dictator now. <laughs> it's fun. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> um, well, and Taravang, I hope you're doing well. Um, and if you're not feeling very vibey and boppy, that's okay. We, we'll just be bopping over here. Um, yep. I did want to start out with um, just mentioning, I mean, there was a kind of a historical, a few historical events, one we're going to talk about later, but one to begin with the episode, um, a nod to Lou... Ottens, Ottens, O T T E N S. Um, he's the inventor of the cassette tape. He passed away oh. recently. And oh no, um, this Rest is in, in the peace. in the sixties. Um, okay, he developed the cassette tape, um, converting from like a regular like recorder device. Um, sure, he worked for for Philips, and um, he also was credited for helping a lot with developing um, CD compact disc. Oh, so he did both. He did both. Yeah, he was. He didn't. He didn't. He was more the sole per person, I think, for cassette tapes. But he contributed sure. a lot. And actually, the CD was first came out by Sony. It was a bit of a weird. Yeah. thing. So Philips did cassette tape, and oh, Sony right. did the CD. And never occurred to me, but you're completely right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he he recently passed away, and um, you know, he with that technology, um, you know, does it a lot. Has just really changed so many things and you know back then like there was like the walkman of like your personal music device and yeah or the original mixtape right yeah or that's like, where the tape came from they literally mm -hmm. cut up pieces of the cassette tape and then stitched them together yeah. to and how it was create. like affordable and accessible and yeah i can only imagine how it changed the game i never like when i was reading about lou Watton's, there was a there's a bit from keith richards from the rolling stones and like mm -hmm. mentioning like how it was so cool to be able to like record himself like their their um their In single portable fashion yeah yeah their satisfaction he's like yeah i could just do it myself to just just to see how i sounded kind of and like play it back and actually that's a great thing uh i say actually sorry it goes along with something else that i was thinking of which is um there's this huge famous producer called Nile Rogers, and he mm -hmm. um, also mentioned that that's kind of how they did things back in the day. You know, they would record on, um, you think, you know, in these days, we think of cassette tape as kind of like the, the lowest grade music that you can because it's very gritty and stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, but they would do that to kind of see if, you know, if you can play it from a consumer level boombox mm -hmm. stereo, mm -hmm. then it would sound great on like the LP or, you know, um, any other form of recording so um they'd always go and do that um it was like a test yeah as a test you Quality know just test. you know if if sure. it sounds great on there then it's definitely going to sound great even better you know everywhere else That's so yeah i mean i um, think I, I liked one thing that kind of a little bit of a question for you Tara yeah. and stephanie so um 
I think there was an interview that Lou, I don't know how, I'm, I feel like I'm saying his last name, Ottens, Lou Ottens said um, when asked, because, you know, lately in the past few decades, it's been kind of somewhat in fashion for people to listen to music on old vinyl records, kind of maybe yeah. more of the hipster or retro crowd as, you know, for, sure. maybe for nostalgia reasons. And he, he said he highly disagreed with that because he, he did, he felt that, CDs and then like later on like, like electronic files like MP3. But so he's he's a progress like he he doesn't mind moving forward with. He like was MP3s pro CD. And- he felt like that was the ultimate, you know, because to get the smoothest sound and yeah, you know, lossless. No- yeah, so he so he didn't understand that that movement, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know about for you and Terving Stephanie, if you had a preference on how you like to what what your preferred medium for listening to music is it a cassette if you liked cassette tapes or vinyl records or cds or as clean as possible and i know within that too there's like live recordings versus like from um live performances versus in the studio i i think i have a somewhat discerning ear but generally not discerning enough to tell if it's from an lp you know the vinyls or a cassette or a cd although i have noticed that um for like orchestration mostly orchestration stuff or you know just instrumental i can tell the difference between like a mp3 or a cd quality you know the lossless one i mean Mm -hmm. um but if it's like a singing one you know where they've sorry there's vocals yeah (laughs) um and you know like generally pop music they've like compressed it so much where you know they just turn up the volume for every aspect it's very difficult to tell if it's like an MP3 or CD. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just prefer the nicest sounding, the clearest sounding one, if possible. But I don't mind hearing the history behind other things. So uh, I'm not too picky about that. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I think my main thing is I never have liked live recordings. I don't like to hear the crowd noise or the, you know, the, if the echo of the it's professionally done, here's the thing. If it's if it's a live recording, but it's done by like the professional people in the box, you know, who like do all the fiddly bits, mm-hmm. um, then I'll like listening to it. But not if it's like a fan video. And I mean, oh, yeah. I'll but like even, even the professional level, I've never, I've always, been really, irked. I've always been irked. I want to, he- I want from the very get go of the track, I want to hear the, the song. I don't yeah. want to hear any intro of crowd oh, stuff. Yeah. Sometimes that gets me going because it's like I'm in there. Like, yeah. you know, say someone's performed and, you know, now they're dead. David Bowie, for example. I can't ever go to a David Bowie performance. But if I listen to like the live recording of it, I can be like, pretend that I've been transported back to the 70s and I'm like in there with the rest of them, even though I'm like <laughs> definitely not in there in the present time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a little time capsule, I think. No, that's true. Yeah, I think for, yeah, to, that's a good point to experience moments like that in the past that we can't experience ourselves. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to open up with that and just give give a nod to to. Lou that's a good question. I like about, that. About his contribution. Just for me, it's like, yeah, I can just sit here and just kind of go, wow, at just what an impact that had on. Absolutely. Just yeah, just thinking about my consumption of music or anything like podcasts like this being limited to like radio, like a mate, like a large radio in, in your house or something, and like, yeah, it, and it being live, like you know, once it's, I don't know, yeah, I just my life would be very different at least. Yeah, completely. I think you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have the iPod touches we wouldn't have the ipods i mean i i would say we wouldn't but like if we're rewinding time right rewinding could like a tape yeah <laughs> yeah i mean um, there's always yeah. there's always a question of yes maybe someone else could have come up with the same thing but i sure sure but sure. i like to think yeah just yeah just very different I'm, if we just if we just stopped right before the cassette what what would we have i feel like i would be a, a very much more empty person if I didn't have my personal music. Yeah, because I think music is a huge part of both of our lives, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and yeah. If I... it's especially these days, the accessibility of music, you know, now with so Spotify, YouTube, you know, there's like so many different avenues. You don't have to necessarily go to a record store, just discover a new song or the library. You can mm-hmm. you know, anywhere. It's, yeah, it's, it's very production. consumable these days. Um, 
Yeah. And with that, it allows you to research bands that maybe when they were popular at coming out, you weren't really up to speed with them. And it gives you, mm. yeah, so it gives you the opportunity to go back and do research, as I feel you, you've done recently. What a wonderful segue <laughs> <laughs> into my, the aforementioned group that I was talking about, which I mm-hmm. guess is redundant. Um, Daft Punk, guys. Daft Punk. That Daft Punky trash. Also, which is what mm-hmm. the um, news, uh, when they were starting out, this group, Daft Punk, the uh, critic called them that. And they're like really sad. That was for their 2001 Discovery album review, I believe, right? N- no, this was early days. Which oh, that's how they came up with the name. That's how, that's how yeah, they came yeah, up yeah. with their name, Daft Punk. Exactly. So they were, they were right. actually in a different group. They were, uh, so there was um, three chaps all together at the beginning there is um laurent something um thomas bangalter and thomas uh, yeah thomas i'm sorry i'm tragically sorry i've yeah no excuses and um guy manuel de onum cristo mm-hmm. um and so uh other guy laurent went to go and become part of a different band called phoenix um but um, Which they could they continue to collaborate with on, and I've always liked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they 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 parted as you know nicely as friends. Yeah. They've been collapsed throughout, and Phoenix is still. They went more of like alternative rock, pop, alternative rock. Okay, okay. I love I love their track. Nineteen oh one was my favorite. One of my favorites in high school. I have yet to hear that, but I will look forward to hearing it. Um, so so the other two lads they were they were very very sad they're about you know 17 or 18 at this time so um impressionable teens i suppose um and when a critic called them that uh daft punky trash they were just very sad and didn't want to create music for a for a while like a year or two uh but then eventually they started you know making some more music again and they were just like i guess you know newspapers calling what what do they want to call it uh, yourselves and they're just oh just check like the name that the credit gives uh, Daft Punk so that's how they became Daft Punk and I love that and you know they really turned that um negative into such a positive I think yeah but the reason I mean the real underlying reason for why you embarked on this kind of dive oh. into history um it's also in addition to the passing of the event of the cassette tape, you know, at this time of recording this episode. Yes, they've um, unfortunately uh, separated. They've announced the, the retirement of the band. And I mean, there's always the chance that they might. I'm hoping it's just a really long hiatus. You never know. Come back, you know, when they're like 80 years old or something. You never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. Um, but but they, I think they need to explore. I think they ended well. Like, I think they ended in when they were in general public favor. You know, everyone still likes them. They didn't like run their course too long. <laughs> I mean, it's been like 20, 30 years since they started. <laughs> so maybe they have run, but every- they seem to generally get some positive reviews since their um, <laughs> Daft Punky trash days. <laughs> so I think it is interesting. There's a good point of the timeline of, yeah, when you're, when you achieve pretty, pretty large mainstream success like that, like they did. Um, do you just continue? I mean, because I've heard some some groups, you know, that are high profile. I they continue, and, and there's something some people about, are like, "No, we don't like it anymore." Well, I think of like not to speak negatively at all about mm. some groups, but I think no. of like like for example, I recall like the '80s rock band like Def Leppard and Styx and Bon Jovi. Like mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they still continue to release new music. Bon Jovi's, I think, a little bit more success recently. Um, mm-hmm. in the past decade or so but you know their definitely peak was like in the 80s and though they've continued to actively tour mm-hmm. and i've but they'd still you know tend to play their older music um, yeah and i think like paul mccartney too keeps like cranking out some new tunes he's still playing yeah. everyone just wants to hear the goodies and oldies um well just a various i mean defense yeah um yeah but i think that just is a very different path like you know playing i don't know how long they'll continue to play live and then there's also the difference you know in artists such as um prince or michael jackson um mm-hmm. who are still like very in the midst you know still in the thick of you know coming out and producing and performing and mm-hmm. then they unfortunately passed suddenly and so it was you know their their depart you know it's the nature of the departure i think is interesting right. whether it's a yeah. sudden due to uh, unfortunately you know, a sudden death of mm-hmm. the artist um 
like a voluntary leaving of the industry or something like daft punk or if they've kind of done this thing where maybe they're not producing as much music as actively like Def yeah. leopard for instance but they're still so like just touring and they're still active like i think yeah like, i think kiss is still you know metallica still does some things um i think what what helps uh f- further i don't know that's the word um help the desirability increase the desirability of Jeff punk was that they didn't tour an awful lot they you know, they didn't do very much interviews many interviews so it's, it a, bit kind in of li- it's a bit in line with their brand of yeah, being, thing. yeah it's in line with their brand for sure i would say uh, so it does make some sense so, of how they've kind of been yeah yeah and you know i guess that so i guess the first album is homework um which i guess was pretty essential or like a lot of people liked it because it was in it was an interesting bit of like Chicago house inspired stuff, but it was like made by French people. <laughs> well, well so. there's, I mean, in the UK and in France, there already there was yeah. a techno community as well. Um, okay, and then over in the states at this time, yeah, that was mainly Canada had some as well as yeah. Chicago and New York, but it was mainly underground. Um, what does underground mean? Because I hear that, and I'm like, not not it's mainstream just not and up. not played on the okay. radio. I mean, at that time, '90s was still we're getting into you know kind of some pop exploration okay. and also kind of that grunge rock, like you're thinking of like Nirvana, for instance, yeah. or or whatnot. So, and you know, techno music at that time is very different, maybe from how we view now. It's not very what you call danceable. There isn't as much. There isn't like a song structure of like hooks that we're used to yeah or, or it feels whatnot. very much like a 90s house party kind of like if you yeah. see movies and it's just kind of like not instance but it's kind of like noise in the background yeah, that you so, just kind of talk over um so it was very different and not yeah not very mainstream possible uh popular and also because it felt that it wasn't accessible to multiple people because it's like no this is only played in like those underground like very clubs. niche like yeah in clubs like, you or don't like play this dark areas you can't driving. play broad daylight yeah it didn't feel appropriate and i mean i think i would argue that dash punk um along with some other groups i mean i yeah. don't want to limit you know like lcd sound system for instance or like the gorillas yeah. other, you know they really helped kind of bring it to be more mainstream by producing songs that we'll kind of mention throughout that bridged over into helping to build and contribute to EDM, electronic dance music, as well as having more pop infusion, disco yeah. infusion. That's all, you know, disco is a very popular dance genre in the sure. 70s and 80s. So, um, but yeah, you know, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 you're good. You're good. I was just going to say, like, they started using the synthesizer. I think, you know, um, there's this machine, I forgot what brand it is, but it's got the 909 mm-hmm. uh, number on it. And that was like a critical machine for making the album homework. And um, I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite tracks is called Rolling and Scratching. And my classical music piano teacher would be rolling this inner grave um, just at the sound of me enjoying this because <laughs> it's just it's just, you know, noise just being amplified and, you know, pitched up and down um, crescendoed and decrescendoed. And mm-hmm. it's it's a bit insane to describe. Um, but somehow I love it. I can't pinpoint exactly what it is about this, like just weird white noise. So, Tomas, yeah, Tomas, Tomas. You say the S? Yeah, Tomas. Okay, Tomas. Um, he got the noise from you know when you try and plug in a microphone into like the jack hole. Sometimes there's a bit of the static noise that you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did that, and then um, you know usually that's done by accident and people are like ah ignore that noise you know um mm. just leave that out i'm gonna make some good noises now but no he took that and then they just pitched it up and down and um did all that amazing magic and now bam you have a song that's like huge and everyone or i shouldn't say everyone loves it but a lot of people are surprised at how much they like it like me well i think well so i want to just remind i mean yes the, when it came out it wasn't popular it's not as near as popular it's not until more recently oh, is it like have, more of a cult following thing now yeah it's more okay. people have gone back and revisited their original mm, okay work and whatnot but at the time not not really and their second album had more critical acclaim for sure and more discussion but still again kind of restricted to that techno field i would say okay 
Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's, it, which has been, you know, something they've done well if they've always kind of been incorporating their previous work whenever they're doing more, you know, more recent performances to yes. introduce the newer audiences, the newer generations to, and encouraging them to go back and revisit. Um, I enjoy that. Aspect. Which again has been helped again, you know, over the time where they're, you know, this is the turn, you know, entering the new millennium. So, you know, you can find this stuff on the internet, internet age, fortunately. So it's Thank easy, the internet. easy yeah. to find these things. It's not like it's mm-hmm. obscure or whatnot, but I, mean, I think just backing up a little bit though, Stephanie. So yeah, you talked about, you know, how they kept their name, these two individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, and, but we also touched on how they have been kind of this mysterious, um, more, very more private is tend to be their their brand you know not doing sure. public interviews but you know their names yeah. have always been public and they didn't you know they today dash punk i feel if you search you just tend to see these two guys um wearing these kind of futuristic robotic helmets where their entire faces are reve- are con- obscured and they have like gloves yeah. on as well so you can't see even their skin you know, like any of their skin for instance yeah but, and they have like um, large uh turtlenecks or something yeah. so i mean i feel like it kind of reminds me a little bit of another artist you know like sia for instance well she was started more as a songwriter um, yeah but when she started kind of trying to become her own performer more so you know she did she always had made an effort of like yeah my name is sia i mean you can find pictures of her she goes mm-hmm. out in public but like she does like and her act her she's like makes she sure to wear the wigs yeah she usually has something to con- seal her face a bit so i think they've done like they've not denied their names or anything yeah they've never been totally mysterious but no they, um i think it was cool their their evolution because it was their it did seem that they weren't interested in the fame and the attention and speculation about their appearances they didn't want it to detract from their music so from early on they literally didn't care about the public appearances at all yeah and they just didn't want to deal with that they just wanted to just for people to focus on their music and sound so i think early on they started i i remember they yeah. had these funny funny methods to can they put like their like stickers like daft punk stickers on their face or they have these weird like sheet mask things they and, literally had like a black bag over their head yeah they would do for one interview yeah then it was like so, yeah this this isn't sustainable i think it was um it was after homework it was i think uh when they were going out to promote discovery or, or somewhere around that time you know between 99 to 2001 mm-hmm. and um they're like yeah this the stickers the black bags over the head like we, we don't want to go out into the street every day like this like just no um so they got some of their artsy friends um to make them some helmets that fitted them um and fitted their face shape and it turned out to be some very svelte helmets, if I may say so myself. Um, they're very sleek. So Tomas has like the silver Tomas. Oh, I can never get that name right. Right. He's got the silver one with the um, Cyclops like visor. Mm-hmm. And then um, Guy Manuel has the gold one with like the, I want to say sun, like moon roof, <laughs> like visor. Mm-hmm. Like it goes over the top of his head. Um, and yeah, then they became the two robots but officially the story is um they were working they, in the studio they, they one day up. yeah it's a funny yeah, they blew okay. up and then they woke up as robots and that's how it goes it's and they, they just press. they stick to that story and um, got to commit there i got to commend them for the you know commitment that they've held on to that story even well to i the, like too how the to the, the, the first version of the helmets they included kind of like a led screen and they could yeah scrolling text and they had yeah, yeah. and the colors things, and the lights um, and... on their arms like a soundboard on their arms to yeah. control thing but it just required them to work on this super heavy like battery backpack thing yeah just like said, the enough outfits of, were enough of this so and just... the lights were hurting their eyes too like, yeah they had these led lights within the helmet and so the, and the led light... lights i should note were not the nice you know tiny led lights no, that was, we this have available earlier, so, like yeah. the big diode i mean I know they're all diodes, but you know the big bellend shaped kind of things. Yeah. So they did have some revisions. So I think it was just, yeah, they had these futuristic helmets. But uh, so I think that that's kind of a, to me a notable feature about them as well. You know how it was yeah, very novel at the time. I don't think other artists had considered you know disguising themselves. Everyone just wanted to make a name generally. Yeah, um, and then I think another interesting thing that I think has become definitely more discussed now with, mm-hmm. I think, 
I think of artists like Taylor Swift, for instance, who, mm. you know, has recently been struggling with you know, ownership of their music and having to give ownership to like the record label, for instance. And I think one thing that makes that Daft Punk a little unique as well is their very conscious decision to sign, because I mean, they were, they were approached by multiple record labels in the late mm-hmm. 90s because they did have an interesting sound and they did I guess seem promising to invest in or whatnot mm-hmm. um, and we ultimately went with I think uh, Virgin Records in, in 96 so before the first official album mm-hmm. of, of, um, of homework and but they had this specific clause um, that would license the tracks to go to through its production company which is I think they called sure. Daft Tracks so yeah. they had, they were able to kind of get a little bit more ownership by asserting that. I think that was already, I think it was, was it Tomas's father? Yeah, Tomas's dad um, was, a, was like already like a music producer. Like he already knew the game so of the he industry. Could best inform them. So yeah, which I is think, really amazing. I think that allowed, so that, that yeah, great. You know, unfortunately for them, they had that informed knowledge already probably, going into oh, it. Like and all their and masters now. Yeah, so it allowed them to have you know, ownership of the tracks more and also have more creative liberty, I feel, to do what they did because I think it kind of changed their sound yeah. a bit. Yeah, and it also means fun. that they can distribute and, like, play the songs whenever they want as opposed to whenever another company, like, forces them to do it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it kind of helps with that exclusivity thing as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, oh, going back to, you said, so they signed to Virgin. Um so they signed bringing it back to um cassette owner guy uh creator inventor they played when they showed the homework over to the virgin producers they're like right here we go and they brought in a boombox and the cassette of homework and played it Uh, or no i think they had the guy fly over to where they were their studios just played the record on the cassette out of a tiny boombox and uh then virgin was like what so if it sounds good on this then it sounds good on you know any loudspeaker stereo fancy you know million dollar system that you know concert venues are going to invest in mm-hmm. and so virgin like signed them on the spot because uh it just sounded so good even coming out of the stereo so mm. it's a little proud moment <laughs> i say proud i wasn't there i was probably like a baby at the time <laughs> Yeah. But it's just kind of a fun little tidbit of, you know, how, um, how, how, I guess, how much they believed in their work, um, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of ballsy, but pretty good. It turned, it turned out pretty well. So they lived to tell the tale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and going back to the mask thing. So uh, I find it interesting that they kind of inspired a whole generation of, I guess, now electro DJ people to similarly kind of disguise their faces, whether it's Alan Walker with like the half mask that we have all come to know well with Corona times. It's very normal Uh, now, but yeah. Or like Marshmallow with like the the white bucket and the XX and smiley face. (laughs) Dead mouse, um, you know, dead mouse, yeah, yeah, uh, Jevals, Jo, Um, yeah, so it kind of helps or not helps, but like it kind of uh and espoused that that uh sort of yeah, to me, it's interesting because artistry that, it's like they went that route because it Aesthetic. for some reason that became more popular because at the same time, right, the gorillas, yeah, um, you know, they were pretty much they're British, um, okay, not French, but you know, they were on the same time. Um, you know, their first album was like 2001 mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they've always been kind of this cartoon band aesthetic. Like you don't really see them. Like all their music videos are these, they have like these very, oh, so you can't see them either. cartoon okay. characters. Okay. Um, and, but for some reason, you know, what stuck more was the, uh, the, I don't know, the mask route, the helmet route versus yeah, it's doing these cartoon avatars. Cause I remember, um, Kind of moving on to the next album of Daft Punk, yeah. um, so Discovery. So it, it was com- it was kind of put in with this anime, Interstellar five 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 five. There's four five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they released this anime, um, the story of the secret star system that replaced yeah. all the first S's with fives. 
but because you get the thing so that was like 2001 but i remember it wasn't fully released in 2003 but before that yeah it would include these cartoon snippets on cartoon network i remember watching yeah kid in this cartoon it was yeah tsunami and it was was the nighttime version of cartoon network yeah and but they would also be showing it alongside like the gorillas clips and stuff yeah i just remember thinking as a kid like oh this is the new thing like this cartoon these cool animation cartoon things because like cartoony or animated anime music videos and pokemon was getting really popular at that time and we're connecting to you know to me like oh this is a big thing between animation and jap japanese anime and and manga work because you know i know on the interstellar 5555 you know they worked with I mean, Leiji Matsumoto, I think was his name. Yeah, this yeah. Manga, because like, he they really wrote, liked his like he wrote manga stuff. that they liked as kids or yeah, something. Exactly. So I remember thinking at that time, oh, this is going to be a big connection between like Western culture, maybe like American mm-hmm. culture, and like Japanese work, which to me I didn't really think took off for some reason, as much as I thought it would. Um, so they had they actually had a movie in my like a full full feature film like live action thing planned. But then, you know, it didn't end up working out. So they had to yeah. go resort to the animation thing for their budget. And um, you can imagine with like a French Japanese translation thing, it, it took a while for this to come together. It's like two yeah. years. So um, I'm sure while, so this this album, or sorry, Interstellar 5555, um, this movie, uh, uses all the music from their second album, Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a silent, movie in all other aspects like there's no dialogue yeah and you just kind of piece the movie together with all the songs and if you watch the music videos for each of the independent songs it doesn't really make much sense it kind of works best if you watch the movie as a whole um otherwise it's just kind of blue people (laughs) saying kind of alien people but it's surprisingly (laughs) a really decent um film like i i loved it i was on board with all the characters it's got love it's got adventure it's got um you know all the action cool stuff it's got it's got a little jab of the music industry um it's everything you can ask for and more except dialogue um but i think it was artfully done i enjoyed it the sound of discovery was quite different from the previous album so different Um, i like it i think it's my favorite yeah, it's definitely got more into kind of like disco infused, like electro mm-hmm. music. Um, I remember when it came out, um, I didn't care for it. It seemed a bit too, I don't say cheesy for me. I just, I, yeah, I didn't, because I, I have a dance background and it wasn't as danceable as I would have liked. And I remember sure. I had already grown up and been exposed to bands from the 70s or 80s, like, um, like Super Tramp and Electrolyte Orchestra that, you know, mm-hmm. used the similar sound like the Wurlitzer keyboard mm-hmm. for the electronic keyboard sound. Or like for me, I was already amazed by the group Boston. And one mm-hmm. of my favorite songs of theirs always was um, Foreplay slash Long Time, which is to me quite famous. It's was originally recorded in 1969 by the, like the, one of the main the founders of the band, Tom Schultz, mm-hmm. who was like, uh, an undergrad or a student at MIT at the time and and just in his basement he using just like a bass organ a guitar and like a like a just like a simple um like a two-track machine like on his own recorded this which which allows you to record like multiple parts and kind of piece them together and yeah like loop loop them over yourself yeah but at that time okay. it was not really super not common in 1969 no um, no, no, he, no he had used his knowledge from interning at Polaroid um and kind of to understand how to kind of edit things together so oh right like layer hear, things and mm-hmm. stitch them together yeah oh. to stitch them together which is again ties to like our opener a little bit of just kind of break thing break, break revolution like, like a different way of thinking but yeah you know, gets you um, a cooler result and i felt done that well. yes yeah, so i always thought that that was interesting too that that yeah the discovery album of Daft, Daft punk reminded me a lot of those and they included things like sampling they did a so much sampling like yeah they, they spent two years and- like making tons of samples like so many yeah. sometimes the samples are like if you go on youtube there's like so many examples where sometimes they would sample just one tiny blip of the sound from a song yeah and it takes fans like years to track these down because they're so obscure. You know, they're like from the 70s or 80s from like virtually unheard of records. You know, like they're not huge pop. They're just somewhere in the annals of some record store. 
And then someone just happens to upload that onto YouTube one day, and then another Daft Punk fan just kind of trawling through. But I remember, oh. like, my parents didn't like it because they felt that they had yeah. just they had taken these really great disco tracks and then just like chopped them, them up, them up and, and chopped them messed up, messed them up, yeah, made them look like just like it was like noise. They felt. Um, I thought it was artfully done noise. Noise, um, and they were like, "What is this?" I remember, and I kind of I was a little bit more biased towards them because I, you know, I sure like, I can't move, I can't dance this as well, and yeah, I was like, I just like the original things because I because I think also because the structure different of the songs, but yeah, um, but you could definitely tell that there was something, yeah, because it was this is you know two thousand one, um, a new century. They're bringing things over and sound over from previous generations. I'd say through. they're like, yeah, they're modernizing and the sound, like bring know, it contemporary. Definitely bridging you know. over to, into different genres. And it's like, well, this is kind of working. Like this whole idea. Yeah, they're bringing them. like the disco dance feel into, you know, more yeah, just remixing no EDM vibe. Remixing yeah. music like that was just like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's like, oh, are you copying? Are you, is this how original is this? But it's like, you know, you couldn't, it, I think it, taught you that you know, remixing or sampling can still be an original song yeah like i know there's a lot of gray areas especially now with like how much how much do you um, sample how much do you how much hear? do you sample is that allowed before it becomes illegal you know yeah. because um and then there's a the whole thing of like whether you should ask for the artist's permission the original artist's permission yeah. or not and generally the answer is yes <laughs> definitely ask for their blessing before yeah. you go and release your own thing don't be like Will I Am, who just he just said this is a remix, and then proceeded to just talk over <laughs> around the world. Do you know that Will I Am is an actual employee of Intel? What? Yeah. Oh wait, I think I remember he like he did a commercial or something and, about but it. But he actually is like a technical, he's like a somewhat of a technical or something. He's actually a oh, legit like a sound of- sound person. I don't I think. know. I I have a friend who works for Intel and. Um, huh. I remember seeing a commercial with them. He has, I forgot. They, their employees have like different badge colors that correspond <laughs> yeah. to like the like you know class like con- or level con- contract, part time, full time, yeah, 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 sure. security clearance, and his it's pretty mm-hmm. high up there. Um, well, I am <laughs> amazing, uh, but yeah, slightly so- better example is Kanye, who did ask for their blessing, um, and he was able to come out with stronger before they even released harder, better. Faster, stronger. Did I say that in the right order? No, they, that was in two thousand one. The, the song came out. Oh right, okay. And he, when did Kanye do it? Two thousand seven. Okay, yeah. So he did ask for their permission, and they were like, "Yes, go ahead." And then um, it came out, and it was amazing. Yeah, that for me growing up, because I was like in doing dance team and stuff, and yeah, my, my brother, my older brother, was really into techno pretty early on so he was he really put them on the map for me already like hey like check this out like this is pretty mm. cool and again like I said my parents and I were in the camp of like this was kind of noise but <laughs> I was like interested because it's the sounds were so unique like just yeah so different know, from what you're used to listening what you could do with like a midi board was like whoa yeah. like how are they doing this and the, vo- the vocal distortion stuff and oh yeah like that's just pretty cool how to even do that whether or not I want to like listen to it all day no my yeah. brother could, but I can only listen to it for short times. And I'm like, eh, sure, give me some, give me some pop stuff here. Um, sure. But I always, yeah, I liked the, the Kanye West story because I, I remember his, his album, I don't know if it was his first, his debut one, but the one in 2005. Okay. Um, that album, you know, that's popular that the single uh, Gold Digger came on, they collab- collaborated with Jamie Foxx on. All right. Um, but for the fo- album after that, the Graduation, which... Um, came out in 2007 so Kanye West was definitely kind of an up-and-coming rapper um, yeah. American rapper and a hip-hop artist and from the had, Chicago scene yeah and he had a friend DJ A-Track who was a Canadian DJ who okay as I kind of t- talked about earlier you know the techno thing was kind of more underground mm-hmm and A-Track kind of and A-Track he did all of the mixing and scratching on Gold Digger and okay. um and he, they were talking together and a track kind of showed him harder better faster stronger and kanye was like i oh. i like this and a track is like yeah no like this is cool but one thing you know for me personally you know when it comes to kanye west i may not agree with all of his personal choices <laughs> um, but I, I de- he's definitely someone sure. who i separate from their craft 
Yeah, I definitely have to commend his in craft. musicality versus the... in music as well as you know he's done things in fashion and overall just sure. marketing and brand. I mean, yeah. he's, what he's done just no, yeah, music aside, just how he's planned his his career has the trajectory sure. of his career. I think has been quite laudable, mm-hmm. um, and especially for sure because he has his Chicago, you know, African American rapper hip-hop artist he hears this yes it's a cool song okay but he took it to the next level of saying i'm going to mix this i'm going to incorporate yeah. this and which is interesting because a track openly says i really d- everyone discouraged him because they don't do it this is a, a lot of people were discouraging yeah, especially like sampling people yeah, weren't doing it as much in the mainstream work. level yes yeah. isn't gonna work this is this is techno leave it to the techno group yeah don't bring this into the rap rap industry rap rap sure. field and Kanye just said no I got you know he had he was locked in and he um he burns bright I gotta you know give him that like he yeah. he does what he wants he doesn't so he, yeah he released no stronger and he really made it his own I feel with his strong vocals and he really amp- he really highlighted some of the chords in there and then DJ you know A-track it went well with the rhythm so some of the you know, scratching at the very end so I remember well together yeah so I remember so that was released okay so we have discovery in 2001 and then uh, and yeah then, and then stronger came out in 2007 i think i have written down somewhere no discovery was 2001 yeah you're right you're right discovery 2001 sorry stronger so the, came the, out the in next thing so but then before that 2006 daft punk start they were at coachella in 2006 and yes. on their on their alive tour and on their alive tour so there's a lot to me this is a big 2006 was a big like intersection moment for me yeah um, so, so they're coachella 2006 which coachella takes place in april yeah and then everyone's going crazy because uh, this is another story but i'll we'll well, go they on that later like a main headliner but you know but they were still yeah, yeah. pretty pretty deal because it's over in america in the states yeah. and they end up their track list they do a lot of their older songs and do remixes mm-hmm. and whatnot so they're doing mm-hmm. things from homework and discovery and then they go on tour the alive tour that goes from 06 to 07 and then Kanye West drops as a summer single, Stronger, in July of 2007. It becomes mm-hmm. a summer hit, chart topper, top of mm-hmm. the Billboard charts for mm-hmm. sure. Actually, yeah, so more popular than the original track of Harder, Better, Heart. Oh, gosh. HBFS. HB- no, no, FS. HBFS, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger was when it originally came out. Because it was still a hit, but in the techno field. And then in November 2007. Wow, you really have the dates down. I, I had to double check this before we recorded because this is what I remember yeah. my memory was, but I was like a preteen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in November 2007, Daft Punk released the live um, concert album of Alive. That's right. Yes. And so it was like, so the America mainstream billboard chart listeners, top 40 radio. They just listened you know, to this for two years nonstop. They fell in love with Stronger. And then a few months later, they, they you know, the original artist yeah. of that track releases it. And so then Daft Punk became much more mainstream, I remember. Yeah, absolutely. And people, I started, I started noticing it coming up. I was in like dance team and it showed up in dance yeah. team routines all the time and like technologic and all that. All that. All that jazz. And then Kanye West performed at the Grammys in 2008. And he performed Stronger. And he brought on Daft Punk. And this was when they had their new rebrand. Because their live shows, like 2006, that live tour, they had that, they did a whole rebrand. They had the helmets already, but they did that cool, like, light show and pyramid thing. That they come out yeah. of the pyramid and they have these cool lights. I have things really, about that too, but later on. And they really brought in, like, the whole dance and fun element, making it more accessible yeah. for people instead of, like, no, you have to be hardcore tech. Just underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, this is Hidden. more mainstream. Sure. And I remember I watched that Grammy show in 2008 and when they came on, I was so surprised because like you'd always heard about them. You'd always see, whenever you saw their music, there was like these weird cartoon things like from the, from yeah. the anime. So you never yeah. knew, <laughs> you never, I mean, not even like a face, like what is this group? Yeah. And that was actually their, that OA Grammy performance was their television live performance premiere. Debut, really yeah. Deal. Yeah. And then the following year, they actually, they'd already been renominated for a Grammy. Um, I think in like 04 time yeah um but they actually won their first grammy for harder better faster stronger in 2009 the following year oh, as so a recorded so dance okay. track it was yeah. kind of weird though because they won it for the 2007 album release of alive i feel like you so know, I don't know how the that works the some of the some of the dates are kind of confusing because yeah. i've also seen some other people that i'm like huh so the they song won came out like two, two years ago they won in 2009 
for a song track that was released in 2007 of a song that was originally recorded in 2001. Yeah, ages ago. And right. not to mention, we already skipped like an, a whole album <laughs> in between all this. Sorry, we did. I just, that's to me my favorite part. No, no, so. no. That, that's a good, that's a good lineage of, I guess, what America saw. Um, <laughs> well, it was um, a bit, yeah, it was an America saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the the album that we skipped, the third one is called Human After All in two thousand five, yes, right? What, so yeah. this was um, in between Discovery, and I feel like it didn't get as much of a good reception. So after spending two years um, of making Discovery, they spent two months <laughs> making Human After All, of which you know a month is um, spent you know just doing the post production. So and then like uh, they had like I think just two weeks to come up with. <laughs> material for for uh human after all so some people say it's quite boring <laughs> because of it just kind of repeats the same four or eight bars you know for like mm. the beginning of the song to the end mm-hmm. but i think it's still you know pretty pretty decent there you know robot rock is my jam but apparently it's a lot of other people's jams but some of them are a bit more bland apparently um i like it all um but yeah so it was less well received and they also came out with another movie, but not like a tie-in one, like Interstellar 505 was for Discovery. Mm-hmm. This one was called um, Electroma um, in 2006. Um, so I guess kind of when they were starting to do their hype and you know get you know get get names in Hollywood and you know kind of hang around. Thomas is like a huge cinematographer, you know, fan person. So he, he likes to like actually do some of the cinematography. So he's always been interested in like the movie making. And thing. he also did several some some movie soundtracks on his own. Yeah, oh, I don't okay. want to tie into that. So I mean, they were a duo, Daft Punk, but you know they yeah. did throughout this whole time. You know they did some things on their own as independent people then they would kind of come back and always collaborate but i thought that was always interesting how they did continue to do things on their own versus always as a duo i'll talk more about Man's individual stuff later <laughs> but so tomat and 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 Giman kind of both um worked together to create this electroma movie which is like an hour long um and an hour and seven minutes um exactly and they it's kind of weird because they themselves aren't acting. They just hired other people to wear their helmets for them. But it's like a very much a, one of those art, art house weird films. Um, but it hits you later on a couple albums down the road um, that this is really uh, perhaps meaningful or that's just we don't know what the meaning is yet, the significance is. And they use one of the scenes in their final video to say goodbye. And it was poignant. Um, and I didn't realize this when I was watching. I was just like, ah, this is another movie. Fine, I'll just watch it, binge it before the episode. Um, and then I watched Epilogue and I was like, oh, okay, they use that scene. I don't want to spoil <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who does it. Um, but they, they could have chosen I think that is, number, Which I think but... is thoughtful to show that they want to acknowledge, yeah, the fans or, or yeah, fans of theirs who were in touch with them during those eras. Yeah, and it was, I was like, wow, that they really, you know, went there and did that. <laughs> It's so vague, but I'm making that intentionally. So I hope that you go watch it at some point um, when you too are in your um, Daft Punk rabbit hole. Hopefully not as deep as I am. But <laughs> hey, what's the issue with that? Um, yeah, so okay. So um, that that was in... Uh, so Human After All came in 2005. 2006 is when Electroma came out. Um, and you said Coachella came out uh, in early 2006. Is that right? It's like April uh, 2006. Happened? Yeah. Um, so during that time, they... Uh, they were asked, or they, you said they weren't the headline, right? They were just kind of a side no. act or yeah. something. But it still is a pretty, I mean, that's, I mean, t- Coachella in 2006 was. Coachella is still a big thing everywhere. Well, not that, I mean, back then it was much smaller. So, okay. But it was still like a new, I mean, the music festival things was kind of an interesting. And everyone asked them like what, the, what they were doing. Cause you know, it's, it's, as a Coachella planners or, you know, their manager, you, you know, they want to know what's going on. They didn't tell them anything anything yeah they just built everything like a black box they didn't even use their um like company money they just go like just had a big big black area blocked off Mm -hmm. um and then you know manager keeps asking what are you doing no i can't tell you um (laughs) and then uh coachella hits and then um everyone's just like in total darkness literally and figuratively 
and then this blaze of lights comes on and then they start their first song and they have this pyramid stage and it's like full of lights and uh, you know leds well, it's and like, no it's like they're, like, they're, like, they're a dj booth that's like within a pyramid yeah and it's just them yeah two, it's them two standing it's a small and small they pyramid. haven't and there was like no setup like that ever done before in coachella is that right no, you, yeah, because I mean, they have DJs, but they would be obviously behind like a DJ booth turntable. Mm-hmm. You would see them. You'd see them. It was very basic, like not super showmany. Yeah, and, and they this might one have was... had some lights maybe, but this was having like really in- embedding the the booth within this kind of set and I design. Think that kind of helped pioneer the the the, the kind of showmany aspect of the music festival scene. Because now you know you, you look at Adele or you know you look at any music festival and it's like basically full of bells and whistles and lights and pyro and everything. I'm not saying they're the first only people to do it, but I think they were. A, mm, I think it was. I would argue and say it's more. I would argue against that and say it was more because yeah. you know, they don't sing or dance. No. DJs, I mean, they're just, it's a very stationary thing. They're just at the, bobbing up and down. Bobbing up and down. Heads and at most. doesn't have as much of a perf- live perform. You can't really tell if they're like live performing or not. So, especially they, they don't have facial expressions because it's just a helmet. Yeah. So, by adding right. that element of lights and, and other things like that, kind of helps not make up, but in a way, kind of make up for the lack of other things. Because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. were always doing lights and, and other elements like that in the other types of performers oh you're right yeah but it yeah. was just elevating brought it up to another level yeah because anyway again and that was always something that's happening in those clubs already um mm-hmm. all that stuff was there but it was just having it more in a main stage yeah um was different mm-hmm. so uh so that brings us to so, so you said the live album came out we're yeah, gonna and include- the Coachella performance is interesting too because this is 2006 um, and so you can actually view it like on YouTube and this is when phones yeah. were getting better a little bit or yeah. people had better or no, maybe not phones weren't quite there. We were still in flip 2006 phone you're like, but we had like, like the cameras early we had, days. We had cameras, um, portable cameras. Yeah. You know, iPhone wasn't around just yet. I don't think, um, but it was like the portable cameras were decent quality enough. So you can mm-hmm. see footage mm-hmm. um, online of it and, you know, and for YouTube, yeah, sorry. Right. YouTube was really kind of kicking off, and mm-hmm. a video I really remember in 07 with "Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger" was called you know, "Daft Punk Hands." That became really viral. Where they we'll link that in later. Yeah, we're gonna link it in. It's with a user like Fr Eckle Hands. I remember. It's. I don't know if they uploaded many other Eckle? videos, but it was like yeah. they drew on their hands, um, like the words of the song, which are pretty repetitive. It's only like ten words or something, and it's kind of like a tutting kind of video where the video just shows their hands, and then. So what is tutting really? Tutting is it's kind of a dance, hip hop kind of dance form where you're kind of doing very like micro movements with your hands okay. and fingers to kind of create shapes and whatnot. So and specifically using, with your hands and yeah, more of your hands, wrists, arms kind of okay. thing. Um, okay. versus more whole body movement. Um, but it was just only on their hands and then they just kind of their hands and they, by changing hands, it's just like covering up a finger, lifting up a finger, a word is revealed kind of thing. Just to read like oh, harder, okay. better, faster, okay. stronger. And then the whole song and it became really viral. And what I remember is one of the first like kind of what we now know is like YouTube challenges because Oh, Maybe boy. people weren't uploading their own videos, but they were trying. But like it's early, person, early days of yeah, YouTube. Like, in person, like I remember at my school, people were drawing on their hands and trying to do it like at their desk, and so everyone had like black palms, like from sharpies and dry erase red yeah. markers. Oh boy! But I remember there were videos of people trying to do it like with their bodies and with other body, you know, other elements. Um, There's still some videos being uploaded for that, I think. Which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, so, yeah. And I, I did. I did check recently with that announcement of the de- of the group's retirement that that YouTube video um, channel did um, acknowledge their retirement and made a sweet little tribute farewell video. Yeah, that's also touching. But I thought that was cool too. Just again showing that where what was going on in the rest of the world with you know, yeah. technology and music file sharing and what connectivity. Yeah, definitely had a global impact and, you know, to more than just the music scene. Um, and yeah, uh, did we say they had an alive? Yeah, we did. <laughs> I'm losing track of their discography because <laughs> um, we keep bouncing around, but that's okay. Um, and, oh, and then and then eventually they, they went out. Disney was like, hey, you want to do a soundtrack for a movie? And they're like, what movie? Tron. Uh, Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um and I haven't seen that yet. I have the DVD sitting on my table. Which it's I pretty watch cool. It. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's 2010. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. I had the original director from the 1982 film on board. Um, yeah, which was which was interesting, but um, but yeah, they they were very much inspired by Deborah something, the, the original composer of yes, um, the original Tron. Um, yeah, the movie was it. very similar to I felt at least in aesthetic and whatnot to the 1982 film. Yeah, there was just good. we had just better CGI and effects and whatnot. And I've only heard the Tron Legacy reconfigured album, not the original soundtrack mm-hmm. one. Um, which apparently Disney had released a remix album of Daft Punk's music uh, without asking them, but I guess Disney had their own rights. Um, and they brought in a bunch of other artists to kind of collaborate with them, um, like the Glitch Mob or Avicii. Um, and it's a pretty good <laughs> album to like work out to or just do different tasks. It's a little bit darker than I think, um, you know, people who liked, uh, you know, um, discovery and you know alive might have preferred but i think it, it, it works well it's you know kind of goes back into the little techno um kind of epic music territory ish um but it, it just kind of interested me how even the artists who took the same song so like there's a song called derezzed and the glitch mob took it he says my alarm every day it's fantastic um a little bit alarming but I got used to it. Um, but then Avicii took the song and it sounds completely different. You know, like, I, I know whether he's just changed the tones or something, it's, it's a bit strange, but compelling how it's, it came from the same source material mm-hmm. and different people took their own twist to it. Um, so that, that was kind of eye opening for me. What, yeah. what are your thoughts? Have you, have you heard any of that? Yeah. And I think it just shows, um, yeah, just the style. I mean, and, and like Avicii, for instance, was quite a bit younger, and yeah, uh, to just show just just what a different generation of of DJs do. And I think trying to be kind of time here, I uh, wanted just to, to wrap up a little <laughs> bit. Okay, um, okay, with kind of their 2014 um, yeah era with with that album, Random yeah. Access Memory, the and, one most people talk about now. <laughs> yeah, well, and that was a bit you know because they won a lot of Grammys for that. Um, did they okay yeah I mean they cleaned up for sure in both nominations and um, I think it was I think they got record of their year I believe that year really um, wow and that was large in part I mean because they for that they collaborated uh, with Pharrell who um, Pharrell was, and a bunch of other people I'd like to add not just Pharrell yeah but Pharrell was like featured and you know Pharrell has his group of people because he's been yeah. a hip-hop artist I mean heck he did yeah with Usher but people maybe oh yeah um, so he's been around <laughs> in that scene with for a lot. And I remember their first collaboration. So Pharrell has a group called NERD. Um, yeah. No one ever really dies. That started out in 99, just to show yeah. you. Pharrell's been, he's kind of immortal. He's, but he's been more in the production scene. Like he wasn't so much like a front singer yeah. as much as much before. But I think I was listening to some interviews somewhere and uh Niall Rogers was saying that actually Pharrell kind of stepped forward to become more of a singer post this mm-hmm. you know collaboration with Daft Punk yeah I mean so the first interaction was on in 2010 when yeah uh NERD collaborated Daft Punk on Hypnotize You and they did a few live performances and then um I guess just the timing of things they started to work on the Random Access Memory for that album mm-hmm. in 2014 long, yeah, along mm-hmm. with other people but I remember that was really when they brought in like this is you know really pop really dancey kind of mm-hmm. kind of songs and they and they you know, brought in the disco things but it's in a different way disco and funk from yeah. you know I, I mentioned Nile Rogers a couple of times he was like a huge uh, source of inspiration yeah. for their you know like 70s 80s sound um, and so they were very happy, overjoyed to bring him on. And they sent him a couple video messages, which I'll uh, try and include two out of the three that I think they sent him. But they're so over the top because um, they 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 admired his work so much, right? Um, you know, he's done stuff like Freak Out. He's helped David Bowie create Less Dance and, you know, a bunch of other hits. He has a guitar called The Hitmaker <laughs> because mm-hmm. of so many hits he's made on that. And yeah. then he's also got a clear guitar, which sounds a lot like the Hitmaker, but it's kind of like the secondary guitar. Everyone wants to always work with the Hitmaker guitar. Mm. Um, but they specifically were like, um, Niall, we're, we just want to meet. Um, can you bring the clear guitar? And he's like, oh, you don't want, he didn't, they didn't ask um, about the Hitmaker or anything. So he came in, he came in with both guitars 
thankfully, um, and wrote the music and they were marveling over the clear acrylic guitar um, and ended up using that in the the clear one in like the Get Lucky video and I think a bunch of other ones uh, that they worked with Niall and Pharrell with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was kind of a cool little tidbit um, that, you know, is not generally known, but uh, thanks to the interview. No, um, but uh, they also just, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, uh, because I mentioned that Tomas was Tomas uh, is a huge cinematographer thing. So they sent Niall a birthday message as well as a thank you for your music <laughs> message. But they're so over the top. They're like thirty seconds long, but it's like so artfully, beautifully done. Um, it didn't need to be so fancy or nice, but they went out of the way to do it, and I was just like, wow, that's commitment right there that's that's good artistry <laughs> yeah it's kind of cute yeah yeah and i think just kind of ending i mean which might be mean there later on they did collaborations like with the weekend and some other groups and um and i think i would imagine you know even at the retirement I mean, with this announcement of the retirement we talked about earlier you know people are very interested now yeah is it a hiatus will they come back but i I, know I foresee a lot of groups doing more about, you know, sampling Daft Punk music, you know, going back to Ooh, those yeah. first albums and, you know, sampling their, their, their sound into yeah. recent things. And I know it's already, it's already been a thing, but I feel that might happen more so. And, you know, I think overall- I, I love like seeing the extra generations of, um, of, you know, like remixes upon remixes. I feel that's kind of a beautiful yeah. art form. And I think um, I mean, this group definitely, I would say, would be one of the pioneers or so in you know French electro house. But as we talked yeah. about, you know, they a lot of cross pollination with other genres, with other other. You got to work with the tools and, of what you got, and you know, they really made good use of far-reaching, um, you know, extending their reach as much as they could. Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So I mean with that I just yeah just to me yeah, just for me you know thank you thank you Daft Punk I've really enjoyed some of the jams been pretty some of the grooves for sure have some great memories of me too up. I feel unconsciously even though I didn't realize it I I've heard quite a bit of their songs mm-hmm. um yeah. just like living life whether it's like pep rallies for football games or just tootling along the grocery store um, you know, mm-hmm. you hear these songs and it doesn't like strike me as, oh, who is this? It, it, just, it just happened. And then now, end of an era, I think. You know a little bit more. Yeah. You have more of an yeah. enriched, enriched mind, a little bit more informed. Absolutely. Yeah. Informed ear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in Terbang, we're going to, you know, include a Spotify playlist, but we're not going to spell out all the different <laughs> songs we're including because um, it's, as you imagine, quite extensive. Um, so just go visit the list if you're interested. And the list, and the list is some some tracks that you Stephanie you felt you were yeah uh, most connected to. But you know, in general, if you would like to, in terms of, we encourage you just you know to listen listen for yourself, listen to the entire bodies of work yourself. Yeah, um, and we're going to include sure. some people you know that inspired or got inspired by mm-hmm. him or or them or you know might have happened contem- contemporaneously. So hopefully, we'll distinguish it from all the different. <laughs> other Daft Punk tributes that are just ooze of their work. And then we, and we mentioned some videos and whatnot. So we'll definitely try to provide information and links to those and in like the episode description and on the Twitter page when we when we post information. So just to not leave you in the dark there. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'd like to end with the same song that they ended their epilogue with. Um which I think is a touching song. It's it's literally called Touch. Um, so the song features Paul Williams and some fan has a synced epilogue with the entirety of the song. With and the song is from where? Random Access Memories. Okay. Um, their last album. Um, so this was made um, using a clip of Electroma, which was made in 2006 with a song that they made in 2013. Mm-hmm. So um, whether or not this was prescient or not, I don't know. Um, but it it felt like it was done well given the covid filming restrictions they may have had um when they decided to call it a day um and so someone some fan we'll link it later has synced up you know uh a version of the whole song going on with the epilogue and there's a point where um the silver robot looks at the 
the the gold robot and asks like where do i belong and you know he he seems to be feeling more human um during the progression of electroma but he's not allowed to be human so he just kind of wants to end and um but again this is all actual in silence so it's just yes it's, it's all just, in it's silence just maybe the audience interpretation of what narrative is happening which is well in electroma they literally have like a mask on top of their mask <laughs> Mm-hmm. of like a human face and um at one point it just melts and um Giman the 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 gold robot just kind of goes with it um but the silver robot's very sad about it you can see his head's kind of down and he's trudging a lot more than the other guy who's just kind of walking normally and at this at one point he just can't take it any longer and he's just like where do i belong because he feels so humanized now you know human after all and all the music that he's come up with um, and he's just tell me what you see. I need something more. And then he like turns his back to his friend and there's a little detonator button. And then the friend just kind of resigns and um, says in his little robotic voice that, you know, he can help him basically. And he lets the guy go and it's, it's sad. It's terrible. But then there's this angelic choir that kind of comes in as, you know, it, the scene kind of fades to, a golden sunset and him uh, the survivor one just walking off into the distance um and i think it's a beautiful touching tribute to them you know they could equally do their own independent music at the end um or you know live their own life human or robot or otherwise um which i think, I think which i think they've you know they've kind of been, been part of their journey about you know being very robotic but adding kind of humanizing the robots Yes, yes. Robotic characters they've created. So, yeah, it's definitely creating some lovely send-off moments. And, yeah, touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great song to end the episode on. So, touch and how touch doesn't have to be direct. You can be touched um, through you know, indirect Digital ways, means or Digital whatever, means yeah. and sound and um, how touch brings about connection and bonding uh, mm-hmm. between 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 beings and you know whether they're robotic or human or other creatures or souls and with that entire bang i wish you a, a very well day evening morning night whichever and same to you stephanie thank you thank you take, very much take care take care cheers <laughs>